Heavenly Father, we, we are so, so anxious, ready, open to receive your word today. Prompted by your spirit, we pray that our hearts are open, our ears as well, that we might receive this word with joy, comfort, and with peace. That we might acknowledge, O oh God, even that the one who delivers this message today, not his words. If they are his words, they take us nowhere. But Father, remind us all that these are your words being funneled through this, this weak and sinful person, wretched as he is, used still by you to bring your people closer and closer to you and to that day when we will live forever with you. So do not leave this one to himself. For if left to himself, he will certainly bring it all to destruction. This we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, so. What we have today is a part of a sermon that Jesus preached to the twelve on the Mount of Olives. It begins with verse 1 of chapter 24. It is oft times referred to as the little apocalypse because it speaks of the end times. The 24 and 25, those two chapters basically have three parts. The first part is in reference to the not-so-distant future. Daniel had spoken of it. He had spoken of the abomination of desecration. And that's mentioned in chapter 24. The abomination of desecration. Jesus lifts that up and he says, it is coming. And looking back, we know that it did come because in A.D. 70, the Romans came into Jerusalem tore everything down, destroyed the temple, went into the temple, took everything out of the temple. Therein is the abomination of the, dis, uh, of, the, of, the, of, of the, whatever. I already said it once, I'm going to say it again. Desecration. I get so excited. You know, what can I say? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, AD 70. That was the first. 25 is later, and I'll show you that in a minute. The rest of chapter 25 after verse 13 has to do with what happens to individuals as they arrive at this time of deliverance from this world unto eternal life. And I hate to say this, but who goes and who doesn't? That's the downside to this message. There are those who go and those who don't. In the advertisement by David Jeremiah, he says, millions will go, billions won't. That's kind of a scary thing to think about. I don't know who's going to go or not go, but I'm 
going to give you some clues as to who that might be. We're going to do that as we look into the 25th chapter now, verses 1 through 13. I said that this is a, a, a parable about what happens further on down the road. Follow me, if you will, in verse 1, where it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like, will be like, that's future, down the road. The kingdom of heaven will be established. And that'll happen down the road. In the meantime, he says in this parable, as we're waiting on the kingdom of heaven, there were ten virgins. Ten virgins. Five foolish and five wise. Now, before we go any further, let's recognize one little thing here. They're all virgins. The only thing that's different about them is some are wise and some aren't. Who are the virgins? The virgins are the disciples. They're the ones that are being taught by Jesus in this parable as to what it is that is going to take place when the end comes. Five wise, five foolish, but they're all disciples. They're all disciples. That means it's us, right? The church, the body of Christ, he is saying in this parable, some are wise, some are foolish. Is that unnerving? Are you sitting in the chair now thinking, okay, what am I? Am I wise? Or am I foolish? Move on. Goes on and he says, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. They took no oil with them. They're going to a wedding feast They're going to lead the bridegroom and the bride into the marriage feast. But they only have oil in the lamp itself. No other oil along with them. And what Jesus says in his parable is, the bridegroom is delayed. And they meaning the disciples, the virgins, they become drowsy and they go to sleep. And when they hear the voice, he's here, he's coming, get up. They grab their lamps to trim them, to clean them up, to stretch it out so the light is nice and bright coming out of that lamp. And they realize that all the oil has been burning off while they have waited for the bridegroom to arrive. And now, they're stuck. So they go to the wives and they say, 
to the wives, hey, give us some of your oil. And the wise virgins say, I'd certainly like to do that, but you know, my oil is my own. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It belongs just to me. You're going to have to go and get your own oil. Now it's midnight. And they're being told to go out to a dealer. How many dealers are awake at midnight? Circle K, maybe. We don't know if they ever got oil or not, but they do come running back. But the bridegroom has come and he has gone and the five wise virgins have gone with him. And they've gone into the marriage feast and the door has been slammed behind. And they say, Lord, Lord, let us in. And these terrible, terrible words come from inside that room. I do not know you. I do not. That same kind of language is found in Matthew, the seventh chapter, where it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will be, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Remember the parable that Jesus tells about the tax collector and the Pharisee? They're both together, kneeling down in the temple. And the tax collector is not even looking up into heaven, but the, the tears are, 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 are falling. And they say, Lord, Lord, I deserve, I deserve nothing from you. I have done nothing right. Have mercy on me, the poor sinner that I am. And on the other side of, 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 of the sanctuary, there's a Pharisee and, and he's lifting his eyes up to heaven and he's saying, boy, Father, I'm sure glad I'm not like that tax collector because I have what? I have paid my dues. I have gone to worship. I have followed the law to the letter of that law. I have done it all. Obviously, I've, I've, I've pleased you. I've pleased you, and you, you've got my back. And Jesus, and Jesus says, asks his disciples, who, who, who is it? Who is it who, who, who was blessed and redeemed in that moment of time? And the answer was the tax collector. Who's going to go into heaven's place? Not necessarily those that say, Lord, Lord, I did this, I did that. They're doing it for their own purposes. They're doing it to pat themselves on the back. And do we have folks like that in the church? When I was a kid, huge Lutheran church in Moorhead, Minnesota. Everyone would come in and we'd sit down in the pews and we'd be waiting for the pastor to come. And right at the moment that the bell would chime, 
here comes this man and his family up the center aisle and right into the front row of the church. And you could see people leaning over to one another asking, who's that? Who's that? Who is that? Someone would say, that's the funeral director. Why would the funeral director wait until the very last minute to come into the church? So that people would ask the question, who is that? That's where he got his business. Cheap advertisement for him. I don't know where his heart was at, but the outside part of it said to me, he's in it for a profit. He's in it for himself. There are people who bear the name of Jesus who have lost touch with what the true will of God is for all of God's people and have gone their own way using their religion, using their presence for their own purposes and gain. And Jesus will say to them, I do not know you. I do not know you. The latter portion of the chapter 25 speaks of the sheep and the goats. And it goes through, you know, you did this, you did that. Well, when, 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 did, when did we do that? Well, when, when, when you fed the hungry, you took care of the children and so on and so forth. Those were the sheep. The goats were those who, who said, yeah, we... we we did all of those things. Why are we not being honored? Because you did it for the wrong reason. The people who did it didn't even know that they were doing it. That's what made them pleasing to God. It gave them so much a part of who and what we are that, that, that it, it's, it's just... It's just natural for us. That's the call on the life of the Christian. To not rely upon self, but to rely upon Jesus and upon Jesus alone and the power of his Holy Spirit to direct our ways. The lamp in the parable, that's our heart our mind, and our soul. What Jesus said was the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the lamb. Now, are we there? Have we arrived? No, we haven't arrived. But we're working on it, right? We're not working on it so that we might be saved. We're working on it so that we might accomplish the will of God for us in this time and in this place as a means of saying thank you and praising the God who saved us and has left us with the promise of everlasting life. The oil is the Holy Spirit. All the virgins had the Holy Spirit, but five made light of the importance of the Holy Spirit in their lives and therefore were caught wanting. Wise virgins understood the importance and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives 
And so they made sure that the Holy Spirit was there in them to overflowing. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit in the Lutheran tradition, but it's a powerful person in the Trinity. We cannot know Jesus Christ or come to him without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot fulfill or accomplish anything of the will of God without the working and power of the Holy Spirit in us. We dare not make light of the Holy Spirit as an active part in our lives and diminish it as a function of our daily lives. Those who had the Holy Spirit to overflowing, they went into the marriage feast. Those who did not were left outside with the words, I do not know you. So are we ready? answer that question, we have to ask some questions. Are we focused on God? Is our love for God number one? Before anything else. I know a man right now He's watching a football game instead of worshiping. He's one of many. They've made football their God. God says, I do not know you. I know a man who's concerned about his, his children's financial well-being. And so he invests over and over and over again in the stock market to put together a very large portfolio so that when he has left this world, his children will have plenty of money to support them in their old age. Yet as far as I know, he has not talked at all to his children about God and the importance of God in their lives. God would say to him, I do not know you. God must be first. That's the first question. Is God first in your life? If the answer is yes, wonderful. Praise to that God who has made that a reality for you in life. If not, the Spirit's still in you. You can get hold of more oil of the Spirit and you can be flush with that Spirit so that you are turned to see what it is that God wills for you in your life. Do you hate sin? You hate sin. You notice the evil going on in the Middle East? I hate that. I hate the purveyors of that. Those who would throw babies into ovens and burn them alive. I hate that sin. I hate the sin of the rapist 
and the murderer. I hate my own sin. And I have my own sin. I don't throw babies into ovens. But I am neglectful. I can become jealous and envious. I can worry about what tomorrow is going to bring when Jesus says, don't do that. The Lord will take care of you. I know all of this, but still it creeps in. I hate the sin. One who is ready hates the sin. One who is ready is loving and forgiving. Doesn't harbor any vengeance or resentment against anybody, but has let it go and has striven to focus on what can be done for that person who has harmed us to be better than what they are. Not for me or for you, but in the quiet time, say, God, get him, would you please? And then to pursue a righteous and holy life. It doesn't say, have a righteous and holy life. Accomplish it. It doesn't say that. It says, pursue it. The Holy Spirit is the one who works holiness and righteousness in us. That's why we need to make sure that we are holding on to the flask of the oil of the Holy Spirit at all times and not allowing it to diminish. Because without the Holy Spirit, we will not pursue righteousness and holiness. That which we have been given by the power of the Holy Spirit as that Spirit's work sanctification along our way. Someday, whenever that end does come and we stand at the pearly gates of heaven, we will know the fullness of that which we have been in pursuit of. But in the meantime, in this age, in this age, we pursue it for the sake of the kingdom. I suspect, I suspect you would all agree the world needs you and me and the Jesus we claim as Lord more than it ever has before. Amen. And it's precisely because of that that we are becoming more and more hated every day. Even with some within the church. We want to play the game of social justice. They want to play the game of social justice. And equity. I don't find any of that stuff in the Bible. What I find in the Bible is believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I tell what I've told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare that place for you, that means that I will come again unto you. That I might take you where I am and there you will be with me also. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the heart of the gospel. That is the will of God for you and for me, for us to know that and to share that and to live it. Loving God first, hating sin, forgiving and loving others, and always in pursuit of that righteousness and holiness that God has already laid upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we do that, we can be assured that we're going in to the marriage feast and not being held out. That we will be celebrated in rather than being told on the outside, I do not know you. This is a day for celebration. It may be the day. It may not. But may we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to pursue what it is that God has ordained for us already, that we should live out our days accomplishing his will and his purpose as a means of saying thank you for what he has done upon the cross and by the power of his resurrection. May it be so for us, even as we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The peace of God which passes all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.